Amen. Good morning, everybody. All right, good to see you guys. Man, what a great day to be together worshiping the Lord, just enjoying His presence and enjoying each other's company. You know, this morning in our uh, Dream Team tag-in before service, I was just really impressed to share the story of Jehoshaphat, which is just a fun biblical name. If you're not, you know, if you didn't grow up in church, didn't go to Sunday school, you know, I, I grew up always laughing at that. I always chuckle, you know, Jeho- Jehoshaphat. It even has a P-H-A-T at the end. And uh, you can just make all kinds of your mama jokes and all kinds of stuff with Jehoshaphat uh, and all that. But anyways, uh, in the story of Jehoshaphat, there's this army that comes against the people of Judah. And the short version of the story is that they send out the worshipers and the, basically the praise team to play instruments and just praise God in front of the battle. And the Lord fights the battle. And, you know, this week I was kind of in my own head a little bit. And maybe you're like me and um, you sort of, you know, get it looking at the news. You start reading and, and, and looking at social media and you kind of go, man, this, this world's sort of a mess right now. And uh, I get discouraged. Anybody else get discouraged? <clears throat> and my first natural response is sort of to fight, um, you know, kind of like even if I'm not fighting with anybody, like in my own head, I'm arguing with everyone, right? And fighting, that's ah, not right. And you shouldn't be saying that. And you shouldn't do this and whatever. And I just felt impressed by the Lord this week. Look, Jake, the battle's not yours. It's mine, says the Lord, right? The battle's not yours. It's his. And we have a response that is always a good idea. How many of you like a surefire bet, right? If I said, look, you can't lose. How many of you like can't lose propositions? Okay, I do. And uh, they're not, they don't come along very often in life. The only one that I know for sure is just do what my wife says. I know that's always going to work out better than the opposite, right? Just always a shirt. Can I get an amen from the ladies in the house? And uh, gentlemen that are wise would also amen, right? If you're silent, sir, then you're probably, you need to, you know, listen to what I'm saying. No, I'm just teasing. But a surefire bet is that you can always praise God and always engage him in worship. And that's always a good idea, regardless of what other options or opportunities present themselves to you, right? It's never a bad idea to say, God, in the midst of the battle, God, in the midst of the journey, God, in the midst of the struggle, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you and just be a person who lives and dwells in the presence of God. You can't lose in that place. Come on. There's nothing that, that, that... that is better than that. There's no atmosphere you can go to. There's no rally. There's no uh, book you can read. There's nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nowhere you can go that's better than being in the presence of God and just saying, you know what? The Lord will fight my battles, but I'm just going to live in praise. I'm just going to continue to worship Him. And, and, and that, that is always a good response, right? And so I'm just excited to be here today, excited to be in God's presence. Uh, I want to just welcome you. If you're visiting Joy Church, you know, I'm kind of speaking kind of just jumping in and talking about praise and maybe saying some religious things uh, that maybe don't sound super familiar, but there's, there's something supernatural about the God that we serve and believe in. And so in times like this, I don't really want to talk about natural things. I want to talk about supernatural things. I want to talk about the things that actually matter and the things that actually can help people, which is God invading your life and getting into your space and you getting into his space and actually having some transformation and some change, which is what we need, right? So I'm excited to be here today. Guys, we're in a series called I Love My Church, I Love My City. How many of you love your church? You got to say yes. Come on, you can't be like silent in this part, right? Because you'll hurt my feelings, you know. We love our church. We love our church family. And we're excited uh, to be together every week. And and I want to encourage you, you know, I appreciate you guys being here. I want to encourage you that when the doors are open, be here. Have your kids in church. Be in church. There's something that's really powerful about that. 
And it's, and it's awesome. I mean, even going on vacation as a kid, my parents were like, we got to go to church. And we're like, even on vacation? And my parents were like, yeah. And I'm a PK. If you didn't know that, my parents are pastors. My, my dad and mom have been pastoring Joy Church Medford for now 39 years. They're a little tired. But yeah, 39 years. <clears throat> They've run that race well. And man, I could probably count on one hand how many services we missed, uh, even when, you know, when I wanted to, we didn't miss church, right? It was like, we're there. And it was such a blessing in my life. So we, we love our church, right? We love our church family. We want to be disciples of Jesus in the context of community. I love what John Stott said. John Stott's a great theologian. He was a pastor in London for many, many years. He said uh, in his book, The uh, Living Church, one of the very first lines says, I do pray or hope that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly that the New Testament knows nothing of, which is an unchurched Christian. It's become very in vogue in our generation to sort of experience our own spirituality, sort of identify. I just The way I identify my Christianity and spirituality is I just go play golf on Sunday, and that's where I feel the presence of God. That's called disobedience, and that's called self-directed spirituality, because actually Jesus saves you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and you're saved out of your sin into a new family, and you're given a place at God's table in God's family, and you have a mission that is part of, that is connected to God's family. And so the New Testament doesn't know anything about unchurched Christians. There is no self-directed spirituality. We are called to join together because there's something dynamic about coming together with other imperfect people where discipleship actually happens in a dynamic way. Come on. And so, you know, in our generation, it's like, well, I just do my own thing. And like church is sort of, if I like the music or I like the preaching, like I go there. Please don't come to Joy Church because you like my preaching. That's never happened before. But, you know, if that were the case, please don't. um, Because that's the wrong reason to be a part of a church. And don't come to Joy Church because you like the music. And then don't leave because you don't like the preaching or don't like the music. That's consumer Christianity. What we want to be is mature believers and disciples of Jesus who are planted in a house and part of a family because God put us there and you couldn't drag us out if you wanted to because we're committed to our family. Come on. And there's something that is valuable and beautiful about that. And so when we say, I love my church as a part of this series, it's not just a cute phrase that we put on a t-shirt, although we will put it on a (laughs) t-shirt, which is awesome too, right? But it's not just some slogan. It's not just some catchword or buzzword. It actually is meaningful to us. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we understand even theologically and biblically, what we call ecclesiology, the theology of the church, the ecclesia, the called out to gather, that we are the body of Christ. We are a family. I love my church. is not just a saying. It's a philosophy. It's a culture. Come on. It's an idea that we live by. It's a value and a principle for us. And then The series is also called I Love My City, and I don't think you can have either one of those. We don't do a series called I Love My Church, and then another series that's I Love My City, because if you love your church, if you love the family that God's placed you in, and you've been called out of darkness into the kingdom of God, called out of isolation and loneliness in your sin into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, into into the church then you're also going to have the heart of the Father. And as I've been talking about for the past few weeks, the heart of the Father is for the city. Last week I talked about Jonah and how God said, Jonah, I want you to go from the land of Israel. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. These are your enemies. And I want you to proclaim salvation. I want you to share my word. If you're going to be a part of the family of God, you have to embrace the family business. When a Sicilian starts talking about the family business. You got to worry. <laughs> Costa Nostra, you know. I actually am Sicilian. How many of you did not know that? 
Yeah, my grandpa, full-blooded Sicilian, which is why I love Italian food. Come on. Ooh, second service, I'll probably feel the anointing even more when I say that, you know. But when you're called into the family of God, you're also called into the family business. And the family business is what Jesus said when he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to believe, teaching them to obey, I'm sorry, all the commands I've given to you, including the one he just gave. Which is why we believe as disciples of Jesus that there is no such thing as a disciple that doesn't make disciples. Oh, Pastor Jake, evangelism's not my gift. Well, it is now. Happy birthday. Pastor Jake, I'm just an introvert. So am I. Well, what are you doing up there? I don't know. I just heard the Lord one day and now I'm here. And I have to go home and get into the fetal position on Sunday afternoon, you know, after I eat lunch, right? You think I'm joking. I'm not. Just because I'm smiling doesn't mean I'm not telling the truth. Pastor Jake, I, I, I'm not the kind of person that is comfortable to share my faith. Neither am I. It's called obedience. How many of you had things your parents told you to do that you weren't comfortable with? Like, go to bed. I'm not comfortable with that. I don't care. I'm your father. Go to bed. You know what I mean? I don't want to brush my teeth. You need to. I don't want you to be, you know, wear dentures when you're 20. Come on. There's a lot of things we don't do because of comfort. We do them because of obedience, and it's the right thing to do. And Jesus said, if you're part of the family, you're part of the family business. And the family business is to make disciples. And so you can't say, I love my church. I don't give a rat's rear end about the city. That doesn't work. Right now, regardless if you're on the political left or the political right, or you're pro-vax or anti-vax, or you like masks or you hate them or whatever you think, I don't care what side you're on, but right now there's a lot of reasons to hate your city. And when I say your city, yeah, I'm talking about the actual geological, you know, physical cities, Eugene and Springfield, but I'm talking about the city of the world, right? The community and the culture around us. There's a lot of reasons to be upset, whatever side of whatever particular issue that you're supposed to be divided on in culture at any given moment, and it'll always change. Do you know that? The real strategy of the enemy is not to get you to believe one direction, it's to get you to hate people. So maybe you're right on one issue. It doesn't really matter if you hate people, you're wrong. And it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong about the actual issue, okay? <clears throat> Just put that, file that away in the back of your head for the next time you read social media, right, after church today. But you can't say, I love my church, but I don't love the city. No, God loves the city. God's heart breaks and cries out for this community, this city around us, the people that don't know Jesus. And we are called as the church to love the city. And so I love my church. I love my city. Again, these aren't just phrases. They aren't just buzzwords. These come from, I believe, the heart of God, but also from the scripture and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So as we unpack these things, we're talking about from these two sides, these two dynamic engines and drivers of spiritual life and authentic discipleship. I haven't even touched my notes today. I'm not even talking anything about this, but I could just preach this uh, for the rest of the time. And, I'm, and I might, maybe, maybe I'll get to my notes. But this is such an important thing because I think that in our day and age, it has been such a, a buffet of spirituality. You know, we live in a relativistic postmodern culture. And this is something that I actually studied, you know, in seminary and all that. And I won't bore you with all the big terms and all that kind of stuff. But actually to see the fruit of it, what I studied in college, you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, uh, not 15 or 20. I'm, I'm not that old. <laughs> Let's say 15 years ago. Uh, what I studied then in sort, of a the, in sort of a theoretical abstract sense to now become a pragmatic thing that we see played out around us in the fruit 
is, is actually kind of scary and kind of shocking. But we live in a culture in which uh, spirituality, morality, and all these things are just matters of preference. And, and it's, it's, it's very shaky. And so even for Christians, it's, a, it's, it's infected the church where people go, um, I'm going to unmoor my life from the Bible and I'm going to unmoor my life from authentic New Testament discipleship as exemplified by being part of a church, a local church, and actually serving and loving with people and being committed to them despite my personal preferences about the sermon or the music or the kids' ministry. And we've taken on a very consumeristic mindset and a very relativistic and postmodern mindset, even inside of the church and how we approach our Christian faith, where we essentially pick and choose what things we want to believe based on the whims and the changing winds of culture. And I'm just here to tell you right now that like, that's not gonna, that doesn't float, it doesn't fly. Not only is it not like, accurate or good, but it actually won't work for you in your life. It's much like what one of the prophets said to the king of Israel, when you trust in Egypt, it's like putting your hand on a splintering reed and you'll fall and it'll pierce your hand. When you trust in the whims of culture, you go, I'm going to base my life. I'm going to unmoor myself from the Bible and unmoor, my, unmoor myself and get away from the foundation of being part of a church and actually being planted in a community and a family. When you unmoor and you begin to just live preferentially, like what, I'll just kind of pick and choose what I believe about sexuality. I'll pick and choose what I believe about uh, spirituality, all these different kinds of things. What ends up happening is destruction in your life. And it's very sad to watch it happen because so many people in our generation and in this time are deconstructing their faith. But what you rarely see is anyone building anything worthwhile in its place. So a lot of people in my generation want to complain because their parents made them go to church every week and told them that they should probably like, you know, keep it in their pants. And they're so offended and traumatized by that, that now they have to live out in this, some sort of grotesque uh, reaction in sexuality and just live in complete sexual licentiousness, which is what we see in our generation. And then it's the church's fault somehow, and it traumatized me, and that's why I'm, I'm living this way. And instead of actually going, you know what, maybe there was something to that, and the way it was applied or said wasn't the best, but instead of just like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I should sort of think about what was being communicated to me, which is that purity and holiness and righteousness matter. And so maybe I could look at like the style points and we could change how we talk about things, but instead of deconstructing, maybe I should look at it and say, wait, maybe there is something about sexual purity that actually matters. And maybe somebody wanted something good for me, couldn't express it in the best way, but actually I could learn something from that and grow. Maybe when somebody said, like, you should go to church every week, and I took it as legalism, maybe what they were trying to communicate to me was that there's value in actually getting yourself into a community and planting yourself. And there's value in actually being a part of something meaningful that is bigger than you, that, you don't, that isn't just based on your own preferences. And maybe instead of reacting and then having to go to therapy for 25 years about it, I could have just toughened up a little bit and said, hmm, maybe there was something there to that. And I can eat the fish and spit out the bones. But we appear incapable in this generation, in this day and age, to do that. And I, and I just, I think we need to, to get, toughen up a little bit and go, wait. Maybe there is something about the old-time religion. Maybe there is something about the old way. And I can look at that and say, there were some things of, of maybe in every generation how Christianity is applied and how it's done that aren't good. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's not deconstruct and break everything down and tear down all these walls without having any clear idea of what we're building up in its place. If you have been spiritually abused, if you've been in a situation where, you know, your faith upbringing or whatever was damaging to you, should you deconstruct? Absolutely, but only insofar as you reconstruct something that looks more like Jesus, not less. 
Because often what happens is somebody says, I'm going to deconstruct my faith, and what they build in its place looks nothing like the New Testament, looks nothing like a disciple, and looks nothing like a Christian. It just looks like a secular person wearing sheep's clothing. Okay, that's my intro. All right. So, all that to say that we're doing a series called I Love My Church and I Love My City. <laughs> and I don't care about these things, but I mean, some people do. No, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about it because this is the, 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 this is the issue of our age. Okay, I'm closing this up again really quick. All right. <laughs> we had a staff meeting this week and we talked about the fact that what we're seeing in, in the church here in our expression, but also in culture around us is not... So, much, so many questions about, like, you know, did God create the universe or, you know, what about dinosaurs? Like, sort of the, the, like the traditional, the, you know, apologetic-type questions. And when I say apologetics, I'm talking about the, the study of the defense of the gospel, kind of explaining. So, like, previous generations were like, well, no, God isn't real because evolution. Well, that's not really the question today. Um, I don't care if you believe in evolution or not. I don't think that's antithetical to the gospel. Um, you can believe in evolution and be a Christian. Um, you can't believe that there was no God and be a Christian, so you have to reconcile that. But we can talk about that another time. But we're not really seeing those questions so much. What we're seeing are actually questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to actually be a Christian? Does it mean some sort of loose, undefined thing of, oh, I just have to be loving, which just basically is saying that anything anybody believes in or says or wants to do in my culture or my city or around me that I don't ever have an opinion and I sort of just kind of am nice? Is that what love means? Or what does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have authentic, saving faith in Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does that look like? These are the questions that we're actually seeing. And we're realizing as a staff and realizing that even as we disciple and we're faithful to love our city and we're faithful to reach people, that we have to begin to answer the questions that culture's actually asking, not the ones they're not. And I think what people really want now and what they need right now, the vitamin that is deficient in, in our culture is actual truth and something you can anchor and build your life on that doesn't just get shaken, right? It's not like we need to do more. I mean, I know we're going to do fun stuff. We're going to give out t-shirts. We're going to have, you know, parties and have bounce houses and hot dogs and we'll do fun stuff. But I don't think people are actually as desperate to like, oh, I just want to go to a church where people are nice. I don't think people really care how nice you are. I mean, they do. But what they care about is like, is there anything that's true here? Because everywhere I look around me, everything is sort of shaking. Every institution has absolutely been trashed in the past two years. When I grew up, I mean, you could trust the United States of America. We are. The, I mean, I grew up, Ronald Reagan was president when I was born. Amazing, right? I don't really remember. I mean, I was just, you know, just kind of moving, you know, doing my thing, whatever. But, like, things were good. We were, like, we were on the right side of the world, right, of issues. And when I grew up, there was this sense of national identity and pride. And, and I still am proud of America, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not one of these people that wants to like disown my nation. Why would you do that? That's foolish. That's like trying to like crash the plane you're riding on. Okay. Uh, but like the United States of America, do you really, really want to put your hope and trust in that? I don't. <laughs> do you really want to put your hope and trust in the CDC? Some people do. 
I don't, but I don't want to put my hope and trust in anything else. It's not like there's an alternative. Do you want to put your hope and trust in education? How many of you really believe that hope and the, you know, the future, we should just really base it on our school boards and, and, and the decisions they're making right now. Like that institution's been shaken. You don't believe me? Go look at the numbers of people that are now homeschooling. Bethany and I were ahead of the curve, just saying. You know what I mean? We were way ahead of the curve. But <laughs> you, and I'm not criticizing. Man, we have teachers in this church. I love our teachers. I support them. What I'm saying is this. What institution... Can you put, can you say, this is the one we put our, you know, this is it. We kind of take our stand right here. What institution in culture? Every single one is getting toppled like chessmen as they get taken down. Come on. Every single one is being shaken. Those of you that want to put your hope and trust in like, well, now we can all be saved because we'll have a vaccine and all this, like that's being toppled. Those of you that want to put your hope and faith in the alternative, that's being toppled. Like no matter what people decide they're going to cling to, all of a sudden it just seems like, and maybe it's even God, it just seems like all of a sudden that one gets knocked down. And, and this is what our culture is experiencing right now. This is what we are living through, even as Christians. Even why, like for me this week, I was a little bit shaken, like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in our world? Why we're Googling what state to move to. Why we're Googling what country to move to. Don't tell me you haven't done it. I've done it. How to turn over a church to the youth pastor, you know, without him knowing it, right? Like, <laughs> why? Well, the reason why is because it's being shaken. The financial industry, the, all of it, it's being shaken. And, I, and guess what? You can go, oh man, we can panic and we can be all afraid and just, you know, run around in circles and scream the sky is falling, or we can understand that there was always only one unshakable kingdom. And that unshakable kingdom is not a political entity. That unshakable kingdom doesn't have one church's name on it. It's not Joy Church. It's Jesus' church. It's the kingdom of God. A kingdom that is in but not of this world. A kingdom that supersedes whether you are pro or anti-vax. A kingdom that supersedes whether you are Republican or Democrat. A kingdom that supersedes all of your past sins and flaws and struggles and says, come to the foot of the cross where all men and women and every race are equal and every age. Come on and and, and lay your, give your life to Jesus and let his blood cleanse your sins and bring you into resurrection life, a kingdom that is unshakable with a message that is unstoppable. The message of the gospel, which is so simple and yet so forgotten in times like these where we'd rather argue and fight with each other about whether a piece of paper that you wear across your face will protect you and bring salvation. We would rather argue about who's president and what they did and this person would be better. And we'd rather argue about all these things that ultimately will not stand. And you go, yeah, but I'm right about this issue. Yeah, but you're wrong about the issue. The issue is that these issues aren't the issue. The issue is that there is one unshakable kingdom and people around us in the city are looking for hope and life and they're looking for answers and they need Jesus 
and so do we, and we can love him and worship him and praise him and cling to him and dig in and be here on Sundays, come on, and be at Joy Group and go, you know what, I don't have to understand and figure out all the answers and the problems and the different things of this world, but what I can do is I can anchor myself to Christ and I can proclaim his message as a disciple because I love my church and I love my city. And it's not that complicated when you understand that. There's one unshakable kingdom. There is one king upon the throne. And many people, as has happened throughout history, many disciples of Jesus, many men and women that were faithful, that were doing the right thing, they didn't end up having what we would call success. But when they went to the, before God, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we don't measure our life based on how comfortable, how prosperous, how amazing, how happy was I, quote unquote. We, we measure it by, was I a faithful disciple of Jesus? Was I a good servant? Because I am pursuing a crown. I am pursuing a prize that is not temporal, but eternal. I'm pursuing a prize that is not of this world, but it is of his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. I am after that thing, like Paul says, I lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. That is what I'm chasing after. And I think what happens is we see a very powerless church in the midst of a very destroyed city when the church is more concerned with what the city has to offer rather than the eternal prize that we were called to pursue. And when we actually get our eyes upon Jesus and we stop looking at the issues that are not actually the issue and we start saying, Jesus, what is your heart for me, my life, my soul, my family, and your heart for my city that I find myself in, all of a sudden we're going to find that many of the answers we've been chasing and pursuing materialize in our life. Because like C.S. Lewis said, he that has God and nothing else, or he that has, let me say it for me, Rob, I'm going to mess it up. And everything else has no more. The he that has God alone. Thank you. Yeah, we got it together. Give Rob a hand. <laughs> Thank you. He that, has, he that has God and everything else has nothing more than he that has God alone. What we find in life is that we can chase all these different things, issues that aren't the issue, but ultimately it comes back to, did I connect with God and his purpose for my life and did I live as a faithful disciple? Because in the light of eternity, all these issues that aren't the issue are going to fade and become very dim. I love my church. I love my city. I love you guys. I'm not going to preach the message I prepared for you, so you'll have to come to second service if you want to hear it. But how many of you feel like that was okay to just talk about that for a few minutes? <clears throat> Let me give you some takeaways. And I don't have any cute notes for these because, or phrases, because I didn't, this is not a prepared sermon. This was just me speaking from my heart today. And my brain, I did use it a little bit. <laughs> Small amount. Number one, the issues are not the issue. It's easy to get too culturally aware. There's a, a phrase that people have said for generations that said, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Flip it around. Because if you're too earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. And so believers, you know, we can't get so caught up in a social justice gospel that misses the actual antidote to human sin. We can't get so caught up in trying to be on the right side of political issues, cultural issues, that we miss the main issue, which is that we're all sinners and we need Jesus and we need the gospel. Now, does that mean we deny social justice issues, that we ignore injustice and we ignore 
No, that means that we take that heavenly mindedness and we bring it to the earth and we actually love the city, that we stand for justice, that we reach out to the, the brokenhearted, we, we help people. But the issues are not the issues. And if you get caught up in that, whatever that may be, and I'll give you a practical example. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm seeing how pastors handle pandemic. It's actually really sad to me because as a pastor, let me just kind of just share from my perspective here. It, everybody has a hard time. People will come to me and say, well, pastor, your job's really hard. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, it is, but like not harder than yours. If you're a plumber or like a painter, like it's been just as hard. <laughs> you know, it's not harder for pastors. So let's just dispel that. But there are interesting things where people, when you're in a position of leadership, and I think this would go for any governor, for any mayor, you know, for anybody in a position of leadership where you try to hold people together and when people are, are moving apart. And so a lot of pastors right now have just given up. I have um, a, a side business where I coach pastors, so I have an opportunity to interact with hundreds of pastors around the world on a very regular basis. And so many of them are, are they're not, I don't want to use the word quitting because they're not quitting. They got destroyed. Let's say it differently. It's kind of like if Sheldon High School goes and plays the Alabama Crimson Tide or plays the Oregon Ducks. It doesn't matter that they're like an amazing high school team. They're going to get destroyed. So a lot of pastors through this last year, you know, year and a half, have gotten destroyed by circumstances, and they're just, they're, they're throwing in the towel. Okay, so I want to be careful not to say quitting, because I don't think it's really that. But they're, they're just, you know, I'm done. I don't have people left my church. We don't have enough money. I don't have a job. Like, you know, what would you do, right? So they're just kind of giving up. And I look at how pastors are sort of processing. And I see pastors that are like, no, we're going to tell people you can't wear a mask. And if you have a vaccine, you don't have faith. And I'm like, oh, that's not a good, <laughs> don't go that way. And then you have the ones that are like, you know, you don't love your neighbor if you don't wear a mask. Really? Because I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I actually didn't read that. It's First Hesitations 4.2. <laughs> like, it's not there. Uh, wearing a mask is not a loving your, your neighbor issue in any way in a biblical sense. And I'd love to have a chat with you about that if you're, like, super mad at me for saying that. But, like, it's not. So I'm seeing all these pastors just kind of, like, giving up and all this kind of stuff. But I'm seeing these various polarized, you know, like uh, polls that they're taking, like we're going to just go, if you don't wear your mask, you don't love your neighbor. And our church is like, we're so into wearing masks. And then the ones that are like, if you don't wear a mask, you don't, you know, if you wear a mask, you're basically given into communism, you know, and it's like either side. And it breaks my heart because what we strive for is to be unified on the things that actually are biblical issues of unity and only be divided on the things that aren't. Only be divided on things that, that matter. Now, does it matter, masks and vaccines and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, it does matter. And it has real world implications. But the reality is nobody has the answer. And you can think in pride that you do, but you don't. And if you're honest with yourself, you understand that people can think differently than you or me and still love Jesus and still love their neighbor. Therefore, if we divide on this issue, we have given in to the power of hell, not heaven. And when we use the Bible or we try to use some sort of self-serving, self-justifying way to use scripture to prove our point, we're really doing the devil's work, not the Lord's. And so the issues are not the issue. The issue is, am I 
connected to what God is doing in me and will I serve him through the midst of uncertainty? I love my church. I love my city. Did you know that you can be a faithful disciple of Jesus and still be confused about cultural issues? Because I would be a liar if I stood up here and told you I have it perfectly down. I know exactly what to do. The, the decisions that I've made about my health and my family's health are the exactly the right ones. I have no idea. I second-guess myself all the time. I read articles, you know, this way. I read articles this way. How many of you have done more research this year about things that you have never wanted to read about? And so I can't tell you that I have all the answers. What I can tell you is that I do know the answer is Jesus. And that's not cliche or trite. What that is, is saying that this kingdom that I've chosen to be a part of and, that has, and really that God has chosen me to be a part of supersedes this time period. And so if I would actually sort of teleport like, you know, Spock, if I would kind of beam me up Scotty, right, out of my time line, out of 2021 and 2020 and zoom out a little bit, what I'd realize is that God has been up to something in human history and stuff has sucked before. Imagine being a Christian like circa, I don't know, 1095 AD when the armies of heaven, you know, kingdom of God, whatever, the Christendom come raiding into Damascus or something and burn your place down. And so you're like, hey, we're Christians too. Imagine being a Christian in like, I don't know, 1939 Poland or 1942 Germany. I mean, and we look at our time and we go, oh, it's like, this is, these are the issues. No, the issues have, are not the issues. Well, this is when Jesus is coming back. We don't know the time or the season. He's coming like a thief in the night. So the issues are not the issue. And if you'll zoom out a little bit, it's going to, number one, give you peace. Also, it's going to make you a better disciple, right? Because you're going to go, hey, wait a second. I can just like love people with or without a mask or a vaccine, and I don't have to make this issue the issue. That's not the issue. I don't have to like get, make politics the thing. Um, anything that sort of tries to get in between me and sharing the real message is actually not from God. It's not very complicated. The issue's not the issue. Number two, takeaway is that you can go wrong uh, in a lot of ways, but like there's one safe way, and this is kind of not safe way, the you know, shopping place, but <laughs> the grocery store. But you can't go wrong by pursuing the presence of God, pursuing the word of God, and pursuing the Holy Spirit. What if every time your heart got all troubled and you had all these questions, instead of just like reading more articles, you just got into the Word? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you haven't finished your Bible cover to cover, you should do that first before you open your mouth again about any cultural issues. How many know the world would become a much quieter place? Because until we actually have God's thoughts running in our head, we probably should chill out a little bit about sharing our opinions. What I find is that many people who are under-nurtured by the word are typically louder in what they want to proclaim over everyone else. And those that are actually very deeply filled with the word have a lot less to say. I feel a little bit of conviction in this room right now. And so before you do anything else, just pursue God for you. Like before you try to tell somebody what's wrong with them, like what if you just said, man, I should just have my butt in church and I should just have my mind in the word of God every day. 
And I should just have my heart united in love with Jesus, listening to worship. I should make sure that every day I have an encounter with God. As my privilege as a child of the one true king, Jesus died, yes, to save you from sin, but he also saved you for the presence of God. When you understand that what we do, the, 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 the privilege we have as believers to enter into the presence of God, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the world from the presence of God was torn in two physically. It was this giant curtain in the temple. And it was literally torn in two at that moment. And so we often are really excited that Jesus died to save us from hell. And we forget that he didn't save us from hell. He saved us for heaven. He saved us for his presence and for his glory and to be in God's presence. And so you have that privilege as a child of God to enter into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart, enter into his courts with praise every day. Let's do that before we do anything else. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you today. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst and what you're speaking to us today. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these wonderful, beautiful, incredible people that are here today. Lord, so amazing, Lord, these families and husbands and wives, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, Lord, I just love them. And I thank you, Lord, that we're walking through challenging times. Lord, we're, we're walking through a valley, but Lord, you're with us. And Lord, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You lead us beside green, the still waters into the green pastures. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to walk through this season and recognize that this is, is a season, this is a time, and that we can zoom out and that the issues are not the issue. And Lord, that our, our, our response to this time of crisis can actually drive us deeper into your presence, into the word, into your Holy Spirit. I pray that we'd be filled with the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and that God, we'd love our church well and that out of that love and out of that overflow, we'd love our city. We pray for our city. We don't curse our city. We don't curse the opposite side of politics. We don't curse the opposite side of cultural issues. We don't curse what you want to bless. We don't name them enemies who, God, you want to be family. Lord, help us to be a people of unity. Help us to be a people of grace. God, help us to be a people, a, a, a church, Lord, that is, that is a refuge for people looking for hope and looking for life and looking for answers. We put our faith and trust in you. God, we love you. We love our church. We love our city. And we want to see what you want to see in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, this is a perfect opportunity to make that decision to become his follower, to become a disciple. And, and we're going to pray today. You can make that decision and, and just kind of mark it with this prayer. But following Jesus isn't just a prayer. You pray. Following Jesus is a life. It's a journey. You give yourself to him and he saves you and he brings you into his family and you're called to live in a brand new way. To leave the old behind, you're born again into a new life. And if that's you and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today, would you raise your hand so I can see and we'll pray together. Anybody in this place, Pastor Jake, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and make a way for me to be reconciled with you. I place my hope and faith in you. I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness 
and I receive your forgiveness paid for at the cross. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.